Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey, and I am not joined by Brendan, as always, Tonight, as I have said before in the timeless words of Jason Derulo, I am riding solo this evening. Brendan is a little under the weather, so it is just me. So with all apologies to you devoted Brendan Stans and Corey Haters, you are stuck with ya boy tonight. So hopefully you will trust me to guide you through this four-game series with the Washington Nationals. As usual, we have a ton to talk about, but the main takeaway was this was a really nice series from the Chicago Cubs. These were all uh, some pretty close games between the Cubs and the Nationals, all things considered, and the Cubs take three out of four, and the only game the Cubs lose in this series is by a single run on Wednesday in a game that Max Scherzer started, and the Cubs had chances to win that one too. So one of those series where maybe you look back and and you would have liked to have gotten a sweep because it was there, but taking three out of four at home as a way to finish this homestand, head into your first meeting with the first place St. Louis Cardinals here this weekend, three out of four is a really, really solid effort from this team. And there is plenty to talk about here. We unfortunately have some more injuries. Jason Hayward hitting the injured list with a hamstring. So we will see how long he is out after 
of the you know 10-day period or whatever. Justin Steele leaves the game on Thursday. Uh, he had to run the bases in this game and uh, came out with a little bit of hamstring tightness. Hopefully that is nothing major. We haven't gotten further word on that as I am recording this on Thursday evening in Chicago. So check in on Friday. We may have a roster update before the game or hopefully find out that Steele uh, is okay. And it was just uh, a little tightness from running those bases there. But more, more, uh, you know, uh, bruised Cubs here. So, you know, we're still kind of battling through that. Anthony Rizzo uh, dealing with, uh, you know, more of those back flare-ups as we've seen in the past, but he was back in the lineup on Thursday, looked fine. So hopefully, uh, as it usually is, just a a minor thing that he has to deal with every now and again, but we are going to get through this. So, with uh, these four games, it was a it was a weird start to this series, right? Because on Monday and then also before the game on Tuesday, we of course welcome back John and Kyle, and not to brush Kyle aside, right? But obviously, you guys know me. My focus was primarily on the return of one John Lester, uh, number thirty four, the lefty, of course, number thirty four in your playbook, number one in your heart, in my heart at least. And boy, I don't know about you guys, but Monday was one of the weirdest feelings I can remember watching a baseball game. Seeing John in a different uniform, the Cubs take him deep three times, and watching that and and being happy, because I want the Cubs to win, obviously, and I want guys like Wilson Contreras and Javi Baez and Jason Hayward to be hitting home runs, but my brain is not yet calibrated to be happy when John Lester is serving up bombs. I mean, I I found myself throughout that game still kind of mouthing to myself the things I normally would when he's pitching, like, oh, John, you can't leave that over the plate, right? Like, oh, John, you're, you're, you know, you're missing the edge there. Come on. I, I, I haven't worked that out of my head yet. So that was pretty weird. But, uh, before I get into the the quick recap and then the stuff I want to talk about, I, I want to give kudos to the fans at Wrigley Field for this series. Obviously, still limited capacity, about 10,000, 11,000-ish fans. Uh, the Cubs had a fully vaccinated section in the bleachers for this. So that was good to see, seeing everybody shoulder to shoulder and having a even even a small section, but a full section packed with fans. The cup snakes were back with the beer and everything, you know, nature's healing. It was nice to see. And I think that upped the capacity a little bit to a little over 11,000. But I, I was uh, really proud, happy, grateful, because I couldn't be there. So I was appreciative to the fans that were at Wrigley Field for this series because I thought they did a great job with a limited capacity, but uh, both John and Kyle got extended standing ovations multiple times, not even just on Monday night. Um, Kyle got them as he came up throughout the series. John got them when he came up to the plate the first time, when he took the mound for the first time, when he left his start, uh, when the Nationals went to the bullpen. And I thought it, it was just a very classy showing from Cubs fans and the Cubs organization with the videos and the gifts that they presented to those guys. And they deserve it. And and like I said, obviously my focus is, is on John, um, but both John and, and Kyle played such a, a huge role in these last several years of Cubs baseball and, of course, in the Cubs winning the 2016 World Series. So I, I'm very glad that there were fans there, and I'm very glad that uh, I think in so much as you can show them love love um, from afar, from the stands. I, I, I think Cubs fans did that, and, and I thought that was really cool. More than anything, I just hope that 
John in in particular, um, you know, feels that feels that love, and that and that he and 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 those guys know how beloved they are, how appreciated they are, and how much they mean to so many of us. And you know, John's one of those guys who's sometimes online. He sometimes tweets, but it's it's pretty infrequent. And you know, he's a, a pretty closed book uh, emotionally sometimes. So you just never know how these guys feel about that stuff. And and more than anything, I just hope John knows. Uh, that he's not just some guy that pitched for the Cubs. He's a legend. He's beloved in this city by these fans and forever a Cubs legend. And uh, I don't know if that is conveyed in in a standing ovation on Monday or or whatever, but I just hope that John knows that and that that he feels that love and feels that appreciation. And I I think with what we saw, I think he did. So that was nice. And and that's what I got on that. It was very weird on Monday. Um, Really awful seeing John in a different uniform. It just doesn't feel right. I'm still, you know, pretty pissed about how that all played out and that he's not finishing his career with the Cubs, but it's been a few months. I've gotten over it to a degree and we move on. So again, the Cubs taking three of four in this series. So let me run through these real quick, especially when I'm talking to myself for this episode even easier uh, to just sort of set the table and get some of this stuff out of the way. But on Monday, the winning pitcher, the future for the Chicago Cubs, Adbert Alzali, he goes five innings, five hits, three earned, no walks, and three strikeouts. Still the long ball plaguing him a little bit. So in addition uh, to going deeper into games, want to keep the ball in the ballpark as well. Um, but that is something that will come in time. There was some discussion about taking him out of this game and going to the bullpen. I, I could have gone either way on it. I know people had some pretty strong feelings, uh, but I think after the game, David Ross and I think Alzali both said that you know he didn't have his best stuff going through that heart of the order again, and it was a tight game. So I, I don't have a problem with, with David managing to hold a tight lead and I I think you got to pick those battles with someone like Alzali, right? And and some of the games are going to be those moments where you say, "Dude, you got to work through this." Right? If you're you're either going to win this game or you're going to lose this game, you go through the order the third time, get it done or don't get it done, sink or swim, however you want to phrase that. And David just didn't feel like Monday was that opportunity and it worked out. Like you know, the Cubs did hold the lead. Rex Brothers came in. He did, he did get the hold in this game and the Cubs won the game. So I could have taken it or leaving it. If David wanted to let him go through it again and and sort of, uh, you know, sort of have that moment and kind of grow a little bit, I would have been fine with it. If he didn't feel that that was the spot to really push it, I was fine with it too. So uh, that that was kind of my stance on that. The losing pitcher in this game uh, was John Lester, who goes five and a third, gives up five earned runs, as I mentioned before. Jason Hayward, Wilson Contreras, and Javi Baez taking him deep. So weird, but you do, you know, I, I was able to appreciate like the smirk on Wilson Contreras' face as he was rounding the bases. You know that felt pretty good to take your old battery mate deep, and he just had kind of a like, I'm not going to look at you, John, but I'm pretty pumped that I just took you deep. Anthony almost got him in that first inning, and that would have been a priceless reaction from Anthony Rizzo on the bases. He almost took him oppo, but it died just short of the warning track. That would have been amazing. But anyway, enough uh, fan fiction from me. So as I said, the Cubs getting their runs on those home runs. Those were the big blows of the game. The Rizzo, uh, that I, the fly ball that I was just mentioning was a sack fly, so that did bring in a run as well. Eric Sogard with an RBI single later in the game, and Jason Hayes. Hayward would add an RBI single of his own, both of those just serving as insurance runs. 
So the Cubs winning 7-3, to and I'll get into it after I finish up with the recap, but I, I think another thing that informs Ross not letting Alzali continue in that game and, and work through it and go deeper in the game, Alzali only threw 63 pitches, so that was part of why everybody was kind of like, hey, like why not let him go through it? You got to trust the guy. And again, I get it, but one thing that I think informs this is the Cubs' bullpen is really good folks. And I think that not everybody has kind of come around to just how good they've been. And we've tried to, Brendan and I, highlight a lot of these individual performances, keep you guys, you know, certainly up to date with, you know, where guys stand in the bullpen and especially the younger guys and how they're performing. But I think a lot of the reaction to Alzali being taken out early sort of reflects like still kind of not having that trust in the bullpen and and we'll go through that in a little bit but I'm not I'm not sure that's the right attitude because I I think we we kind of have to adjust our perspective into really trusting this bullpen um one thing I do want to mention is in this game, uh, we saw brothers Tapera, Chafin, and Tommy Nance. Uh, all of them come in, only one hit allowed, three walks between uh, those four guys. And Tommy Nance, somebody to pay attention to. His stuff is filthy. It's a great story of a guy, uh, you know, not making it and, and sticking in the game of baseball and, and persevering and getting up here and getting a chance here with the Chicago Cubs in 2021. And the dude is nasty. I mean, he is throwing 97 miles an hour with a ton of movement. He's got sick breaking balls. If Brendan were on here, he would be telling you about the spin rate that Tommy Nance is able to generate with his pitches, which I believe is some of the best in baseball. I mean, the names that Tommy Nance is in company with in terms of spin rate are elite pitchers in this league. And of course, it's only been a few outings for him. So, you know, you don't want to get carried away. But really nasty stuff and and stuff that I, a lot of people uh, on Monday night in particular were like, whoa, like, who, who is this guy and, like, where has he been all my life? Um, so anyway, that was Monday. Tuesday, the Cubs winning 6-3. to three. Zach Davies was pr- fine in this game, five innings, seven hits, three earned runs, one walk, one strikeout. So nothing necessarily to write home about, but he was pretty solid. David Bodie homering in this game, Ian Happ homering in this game, big series for Ian Happ. Ian Happ looks locked in those numbers rapidly creeping up from where he was in the beginning of the season. We'll talk about that. The Cubs getting their runs in this one on a Wilson Contreras RBI single. The Nationals would tie the game in the fifth at two. Chris Bryant would put the Cubs back on top with an RBI single. Starlin Castro, another former Cub here for this series, tied things up in the sixth with a home run, and then the aforementioned home runs. David Bodie gives the Cubs a two-run lead in the sixth, and Ian Happ with a little insurance in the eighth. So six to three was the final on Tuesday. On Wednesday, the Nationals getting their only win in this series behind the arm of Max Scherzer. The Cubs had Scherzer in a couple of spots where they could have got him, but they don't ultimately break through. Scherzer only goes five innings. The Cubs did do a really good job in that last inning of running up the pitch count. He really labored to get through that fifth inning, Uh, so that did get him out of the game, but unfortunately, the Cubs' comeback would fall just a little bit short. Jake Arrieta, okay in this game. He does take the loss, five innings, seven hits, four earned, two walks, two strikeouts, gives up a home run. Not his worst uh, outing, but not his bet. A lot of hard contact in this one. Um, but 
you know, again, kind of the thing with Jake, like if five innings and and four runs is uh, one of his worst starts of the year, which I I guess it is, that's not so bad. Um, And, you know, he did keep the team in the game. He said after the game, not good enough when you're going up against a guy like Scherzer, which ultimately does end up being the case. But I think Jake was fine. It wasn't uh, a disaster of a start by any means. Uh, The Cubs do get their runs in this one. Nico Horner, an RBI single early in the game. Ian Happ, an RBI single. And Javi Baez hit his 10th home run in the ninth. The Cubs got close in this one. Uh, The tying run in the form of Chris Bryant did reach second base, but Matt Duffy struck out uh, on a uh, very nice pitch from Brad Hand. Um, Matt Duffy put up a good at bat, but couldn't get it done. So that was the one loss for the Cubs in this series. On Thursday, the finale, a day game at beautiful historic Wrigley Field. It was a 5-2 victory for the Chicago Cubs. Justin Steele picking up his second win of the year. And again, hopefully he is okay after leaving uh, with some hamstring tightness from running the bases. Trevor Williams, a better start in this one. He goes four and two-thirds, five hits, two earned, two walks, and five strikeouts. He does give up two home runs. Windy, warm day at Wrigley Field. Uh, And Trevor only threw 77 pitches. So we had we had kind of talked and you know certainly there was some speculation out there as to whether Trevor needed to be good in this outing you know how much of a leash did he have on a sort of permanent rotation spot and I thought he was fine today and you know really uh, again just one of those things where in a tight game um, you know you you continue going through a, a pretty you know that that middle of the order for the Nationals has some some guys who can bop so uh, I think David just again you know opting to go to the bullpen and and taking those those little spots he can to try to maximize uh, his opportunity to win games and I I think again Trevor I think was fine but you know David just didn't feel like uh, keeping that long of a leash today so I I think in terms of Williams standing in the rotation I I don't think that Thursday uh, was the type of outing where you would go yeah that's it we're done with him I think it was fine Um, you know but you're you're going to want to, of course, uh, you know, see more length and uh, obviously have him look in a manner that generates more confidence in David Ross rather than him turning to the bullpen in the fifth inning. So that was the story there. Uh, but really nice relief as we, you know, is, is kind of the setup here. Justin Steele, Ryan Tapera, Andrew Chafin, and Craig Kimbrell all doing great work. Uh, the only hit allowed by either of those four guys is against Craig Kimbrell. He balanced that out by striking out three guys uh, to get his ninth save of the season. Justin Steele, three strikeouts in his inning and a third of work, just one walk. Tapera, three strikeouts in a otherwise clean inning of work. No hits, no runs, no walks. And Chafin, clean across the board. No hits, no runs, no walks, no strikeouts. Just a clean inning of work. And I do think Nico Horner is Andrew's best friend because he made some stellar plays at second base uh, with Chafin on the mound. And I think Andrew might owe Nico a beer or two with uh, some of the defense that he was providing. But the Cubs getting their runs in this game on Thursday. They fell behind. Uh, It was two homers in that first inning to that middle of the order that I mentioned. Josh Bell, and uh, a former friend, uh, good old Kyle, out there in left field with uh, home runs to give the Nats a two to nothing lead. 
bottom of the second, Nick Martini with an RBI. He is, uh, you know, of course, filling in uh, a little bit with the depth with Jason Hayward and Jake Marisnik out. He gets uh, the situational hitting done, a sack fly. Ian Happ's first homer of the day, his fifth of the season, put the Cubs ahead three to two. Jock Peterson with an RBI single in the fourth, that made it four to two. And then Ian Happ's sixth homer of the season put the Cubs up 5-2, to two, and that would be all that she wrote. Ian Happ uh, hitting one home run to right field and one to left center. So using the whole field to spread home run joy. So that is the series with the Nationals. I, I threw in, you know, because uh, Brendan isn't here, uh, threw in a, a little more commentary than I would in the recap there just because I am talking. Look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded, and the best golfers sometimes three-putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you've been coming up short in the health department, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to GetRoman.com slash Cubs Related now. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for hair loss or ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is forward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Cubs Related and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash Cubs Related now to get $15 off your first month. That's $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED or hair loss. Go to GetRoman.com slash Cubs Related. Get started now to save $15 off your first month of treatment to myself. Um, But like I said, this was a really solid series. You know, none of these games are blowouts. The biggest... you know, win in this series for the Cubs is seven to three on Monday. And it it was just a really nice series. The Cubs are back above five hundred at twenty-two and twenty-one. They are in second place behind the St. Louis Cardinals. They are three games behind the Cardinals, but the Cubs now a game ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers and two and a half games ahead of the Cincinnati Reds. So and they meet the Cardinals this weekend. So obviously the way that that series bears out can certainly change things in the NL Central. But as as we've noted a lot, Cubs certainly right in the thick of it. They are definitely competitive, which was kind of one of the, the buzzwords through this offseason for this team. And when you're three games back and you have a three-game series with a team in first place, uh, to me, that sounds like you're right there and you're definitely a threat to uh, win the division and, and be a part of the race in this NL Central. So all in all, uh, a really nice series from the Chicago Cubs here. Um, and again, you know, like, when the only game you lose is by a run and Max Scherzer was on the mound, I think you got to feel pretty good about the baseball that you played in the series. But the place that I want to start is what I mentioned in the recap a little bit there, and that is the Chicago Cubs bullpen. And I want to highlight it because, like I said, I think that we we need to appreciate just how good they've been. And I I don't know that everybody is necessarily doing that. And the stats that kind of jump out to you 
are that as of today, the Cubs bullpen is the fourth best unit in all of baseball in terms of ERA at 3.16, 316 for any of my Stone Cold Steve Austin fans out there. Brendan's not here, so I can throw a wrestling reference in every now and again. Uh, That is fourth best in all of baseball. They have the best strikeout rate in all of baseball at 29.1%, number one in the entire league the Chicago Cubs bullpen. Now, to balance that out, I would be uh, sort of being intellectually dishonest if I did not mention that they also have the fifth worst walk rate. So that is a number that you want to come down. But of course, as as long as you're also striking guys out and not letting too many balls in play when you're putting guys on base for free, you can kind of mitigate uh, the danger of walking too many guys. But that is, of course, the the hurdle that remains for this bullpen. But given the makeup of these guys and, you know, some of the, the the guys that they do have in this bullpen, it's not altogether surprising, right? So it's, it's really a, a testament to, I think, what we've talked about a lot. And we, Brendan and I, praise Tommy Hadovy, Craig Breslow, and, and the overall pitching infrastructure of this organization and the pitch lab and everything you guys have heard about and everything you've read about. But you're really seeing these results bearing out on the field. And I think it is really worth continuing to highlight and and continuing to be rather excited about because I think we find ourselves in a position where I, like personally, can't remember the last time there was this much uh, excitement and interest in what the Cubs were doing on a, a pitching front, especially in the bullpen, but from a lot of younger guys, right? We've talked about Justin Steele a lot. We've talked about Keegan Thompson a lot. You look at some of the minor league levels, you know, now that those games are going, I'm following guys like Greg Huss and and Brian Smith from Bleacher Nation, Greg from the the Growing Cubs podcast, and every night they're highlighting different guys on Twitter who are sitting in the upper 90s, some guys throwing 100 or higher, someone like Robert Stock, pumping 101, I think, today uh, in his game. Like, the Cubs are are churning out these guys. Like, things are getting kind of interesting from the, from the pitching perspective, which is not always how things have been for this organization. But it's, it's kind of one of those, like, trust the process moments, right? Like, we've been hyping up the pitching infrastructure and a lot of the work that they've been doing, and you want to see those results bear out. And I, and I think we're sort of starting to see that, right? Um, and, you know, you look at someone like Tommy Nance, like it's it's about time, right, for this organization. We, we talk about, and, and it's not always on the pitching side, um, but, you know, you look around the league and, and fairly often, you know, you'll have these guys who teams have picked up uh, that other teams threw away and they manipulated their stance or their pitching mechanics or things like that. And all of a sudden, you know, now they've got an all-star or, or something like that. And it didn't feel like the Cubs were always doing that. And it's only been a few outings for someone like Tommy Nance, so you don't want to get carried away. But, like, that's the type of thing you want to see. You know, this is a guy who, you know, at one point is an indie ball, and the Cubs see something there. They they get to work, right? They're identifying this spin rate stuff, and what can we do with it? How can we you know, manipulate this and convert this. And this guy comes up, he's pumping strikes, he's absolutely nasty. And it looks like the Cubs might have something there. But there's a lot of places where I think that you can really kind of like see this, but it just doesn't feel like we were that far away from 
so many of the guys in the Cubs bullpen, you know, sitting in the high 80s or low 90s and and just not, you know, maybe getting out, being effective, but not feeling all that inspiring, right? And, and we would have series where you'd play like the Pirates and it felt like every single guy out of their bullpen was coming in and pumping 99 or higher, things like that. And it just, you know, at times in the last few years kind of felt like, eh, you know, kind of feels like the Cubs are behind in a little bit of this pitching stuff. Um, and again, you don't want to get carried away, right? We're only a month and a half into this season here, but it just feels like progress is really being made in terms of the Cubs pitching development, their ability to advance guys through their system, bring them up successfully, work them into their rotation uh, of their pitching staff as a whole. And it feels like that that progress is tangible. It feels like we can really see it. And a couple of the guys I want to focus on as well, someone like Rex Brothers, I, I think, is someone where some of this stuff really stands out, right? Like Rex Brothers, as I sit here today, has a flat 3.0 ERA in 15 innings of work. He's striking out a ton of guys. Uh, his strikeout rate is uh, extremely high. And when you look at someone like Rex, Rex has not had success at the MLB level, um, you know, with regular usage since he put up a 1.74 ERA in 10.10 and a third innings for the Rockies in 2015. 2015. The following in 2017, in 23 and two thirds innings for the Braves, he had a ERA near seven and a half. Like, guys, this is a guy who has not had success at the MLB level in years, years. And the Cubs, to their credit, right, Rex was one of those guys where when he broke camp with the team, he sits, he's got the velo, he he has the swing and miss stuff, but command has always been an issue. And when he broke camp with the team, a lot of people were like, eh, you know, why are they sticking with brothers? Why don't they give someone else the opportunity? Things like that. And so far, the Cubs brass is being proven right in terms of holding on to him. And, you know, he may not be the the best reliever in the league or even the best reliever in this bullpen, but the Cubs have gotten 15 solid innings so far out of this guy. And the swing and miss stuff is there. And that is to their credit for believing in what they saw in him and the work that they had done with him to mitigate some of those command problems and get him to be uh, a more effective reliever so that they could dial in to his strikeout ability. And as I sit here today, he has a 40.9% K rate, uh, which in the Cubs bullpen trails only Craig Kimbrell, whose is at 41.5%. Or if you count Tommy Nance, who's is at 57%, uh, but that's a much smaller sample. So major props to the Cubs, uh, you know, for for sticking with that and believing in it. And and they have given up on some guys, I, you know, given up, like just sent down and, you know, tried to see if they can continue working. But, you know, Shelby Miller's not in this bullpen right now. Jason Adam isn't. Brandon Workman isn't. You know, so they, they have had guys that they 
tried to stick with, and they said, you know what, this isn't working, we got to try something else. But to their credit on some of these guys for sticking with them. And I want to read another stat uh, about Ryan Tapera, who has also been really, really good. This one coming from friend of the podcast, Matt Clapp at the blog finds on Twitter. Ryan Tapera, going back to April 17th, has walked one batter and struck out 17 in 15 and two-thirds innings pitched. He has a six and a half walk rate after a career worst walk rate of 13 and a half percent last year. So he's cut down on that walk rate, which is obviously, you know, sort of the main issue still with the Cubs bullpen. But he is still striking guys out. He's still been nasty and he's still been very effective. So we've highlighted guys like Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, some of the younger guys. I don't think I need to remind you guys about how good Kimbrell has been. Um, I need, you know, need to remind myself sometimes because I was obviously not his biggest believer uh, when the issues first started in 2020. Um, but boy, has he proven me wrong um, because this is as good as I've seen him look. And I, you know, I don't know, I, I wasn't watching him on the Braves so much when he was vintage Craig Kimbrell and kind of building that Hall of Fame resume of his, but I would be surprised if this is not some of the best he's pitched in his career, at, at least in terms of a results perspective, because he has just been lights out on a daily basis, and it is really fun to see. But I, I just wanted to make sure we started with the bullpen because they've been really good, and I, and I do think that that informs some of those decisions that Ross is making. And the Cubs' starting rotation, you know, Davies is kind of starting to look a little more like who you would have expected. He hasn't been great. He wasn't great in this national series, but far from how he started the season, right? Kyle Hendricks has been really good his last few starts. He looks like himself. Jake Arrieta has been competitive in most of these starts, but on the whole, the rotation has not been good, right? They don't rate that well in terms of the rest of the league. And the bullpen has allowed that to, you know, not derail this season completely, right? And if the bullpen had been worse, I mean, they've been asked to cover four or five, sometimes six innings a night. And if this bullpen was not putting up numbers that were near the top of the league in a lot of these categories, I don't think this team would be a game over 500. I think they would be in a much worse spot. So per usual, a a big time credit so far in this season to the pitching infrastructure, the coaching staff, and to David Ross. I, I think, you know, a lot of times he catches flack like any manager does for the decisions that he's made. But in a lot of these spots, I think people have, uh, you know, kind of jumped the gun on being preemptively mad at him for going to the bullpen and not letting guys work longer. But the the bullpen is is paying it off for him. They are making him look good because they have been very, very good as a unit. And the last thing I, I want to say on the bullpen before um, we, we, we talk about something else is that it it's, again, nice to see different guys getting opportunities, right? And and Tommy Nance is not a younger guy like Justin Steele or, or, or Keegan Thompson, some of these other guys, but this is his first opportunity. So it, it's just really nice to see the Cubs 
doing this because for as as many guys like Rex Brothers, who again, I'm I'm giving them credit for sticking with and and getting uh, effective innings out of him to start this 2021 season, there you don't want to do that too much. And I was joking uh, to to bring him up again with with Brian Smith from Bleacher Nation, their their uh, minor league coverage guy over there at Bleacher Nation about how Brian for years has been on Twitter railing against the Cubs for how often they would give opportunities to older reclamation project type guys, guys in the Shelby Miller type uh, role, where you understand why the Cubs want to take a shot and see if they can tap into the past success. But at the same time, it felt like the Cubs were so reluctant, so hesitant to trust their own guys, guys that they had developed, guys that had worked, you know, from Myrtle Beach to Tennessee to Iowa and deserved a shot and deserved a look. And and guys who are, you know, of course, under team control, who are cost uh, effective in that regard in terms of, you know, baseball operations budget and things like that. And it just felt like the Cubs were very hard-headed about giving those guys a shot. And I don't know if they just didn't feel some of those guys were ready yet. It was just a stubbornness. I don't know. But whatever it is or was feels like it's it's loosened a little bit in, in this 2021 season. And it's it's really paying off. And and to harp on a point that I've made a lot and that Brendan and I have made a lot and, and that you're you will see plenty of other people write about or talk about on their podcasts, it's so important for the future of this team, right? When we talk about the trade deadline stuff, Jed Hoyer today on Thursday was talking about how he is, you know, this team is going to dictate how the deadline goes and that he's not, you know, set in stone one way or the other. And it's it's a constant evaluation, right? And, you know, again, with media speak from the front office, you never know what to believe, whatever. He could have made his mind up a month ago. I don't know. But when you see like the team is competitive. They're three games out of first place. If they sweep the Cardinals this weekend, they're a first place baseball team, right? And you've got Chris Bryant playing at an MVP level. You've got a young guy in your rotation in Alzali who's, you know, sort of trying and and beginning to round into form of sort of a future member and, and hopefully a future star of your rotation. You've got a few young guys, a few new guys in this bullpen. You've got young guys on offense like Nico Horner, you know, now Ian Happ starting to heat up. These guys that you're kind of looking at as as more future oriented guys for this organization. Like it 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 does sort of shift the conversation a a little bit with a lot of this. And it may shift the thinking. Again, for the millionth time, I don't know what the deal is with the budget, with ownership, with when when or if ever they're going to be at or over that luxury tax uh, threshold again, a top five payroll again. I don't know, right? I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. Tom knows. Ask him, okay? Run into him at a game and and ask him when they're going to spend $200 million again. I don't know. But when there's so much talk through this offseason, especially after the Darvish trade, of are the Cubs going to enter a rebuild, right? Are they going to let Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez leave? And do they need to enter a full-scale rebuild that takes three or four years to complete? Are they not going to be good again until 2025? I didn't say these things. These are conversations that happened. I'm sure you've all seen them, right, whether you believe them or not. And all I all I want to say is that the Cubs with 
how much they're worth, how much their owners are worth, all this other stuff, the market that they're in, they should never rebuild, right? That was the whole point of all of this. They should never rebuild. Teams like that should never have to rebuild. But they definitely don't have to rebuild if you have a team that has young talent that is performing. And we're a month and a half in, so you got to keep seeing how this goes. But when you start to look at this team and you start to look at the bullpen and say, yeah, I see like two or three or four maybe guys who I can start to pencil into the future of this bullpen that are under contract for several years and, of course, not expensive. And you start to look at someone like Alzali in the rotation and say, okay, I'm starting to see him as, you know, a middle and hopefully top of the rotation guy at some point. Okay, so that's another position filled out by someone who's under contract for a while and who's not expensive. And you start looking at the offense and saying, okay, Nico Horner looks like an everyday second baseman. His defense is off the charts. He's performing exactly how you want him to at the plate. He's running the bases like a professional. He's carrying himself. Okay, so that's a position on the field, right? Ian Happ is looking more like that beginning of the 2020 season version of himself. He's still here for a while. Like, you start to see how you're building this roster, and you look at it and you go, yeah, like, this roster doesn't need a massive turnover. They just don't. And so not only should they never rebuild because of their who they are, they're the Chicago Cubs, right? They're one of the most valuable sports franchises in the world, and their owners have plenty of money. They should never have to rebuild completely. Like I'm talking, you know, we're going to have a $50 million payroll for three years so we can get a bunch of draft picks or whatever. They should never have to do that again, right? But especially when you start looking around and you are calling guys up and they're succeeding and they're developing the way you want. And then you look at some of these minor league box scores and videos, and there are younger guys that are making those strides, taking those steps, getting themselves ready for that next level. You don't need to do that, right? You just don't need to do that. You need to retool, perhaps, and maybe spend money in different areas or whatever, right? If you want to get away from this exact core that the Cubs have had for several years, okay, fine. We've talked about that. But there is a big gap between a little bit of a retool, right? A little bit of a reset, which is kind of what they did heading into this year, right? And a full-scale rebuild. So you should have been rejecting that uh, notion pretty vehemently all the time. But especially as we see some of these younger guys start performing, they're getting opportunities, they're performing, and they're doing so on a team that right now, again, is competitive for the division that they are in to defend their NL Central title. So that's not what should happen. I don't know what Jed's plan is as we head into the trade deadline here. I don't know what his plan is as it relates to extensions for guys, but this team should be looking at how to retool things and use who they have right now to make it work and get themselves in a position to win next year, not four years from now or anything crazy like people uh, have sometimes suggested. It's not necessary. It was never necessary. It's way less necessary 
even as a concept when you start to see some of these guys performing. So just wanted to like briefly touch on that. But sticking with that, I want to talk about two guys in the outfield who have really started to heat up, and that is Ian Happ and Jock Peterson. I want to start with Happ because he was one of those guys where uh, we were not alone in saying this, but I, I do like to circle back to stuff like this because when we harp on stuff for weeks at a time, uh, I do like to point out when it was for a reason, right? As opposed to us just rambling and it going nowhere. We said a lot and you heard it on the broadcast. You heard it uh, from a ton of people that Hap, his stat cast numbers, the expected numbers, the batted ball numbers, his patience at the plate and stuff like that. He deserved better, right? He was having some issues with the strikeouts, strikeout rate is still is still high, um, and he was having you know some contact related issues, especially in the zone. But overall, you know, I think he was in like the five hundreds in terms of his OPS at certain points of this season, and he just was not deserving of so low numbers. And and we talked about this, especially when he went out with the injury, that it was so important to just do what you needed to do to get him on the right track because he has been solid throughout his career and you just knew that those numbers early in this season were not who he was, right? Maybe overall he is not who he was in the beginning of the 2020 season when he was an MVP candidate for about the first month or so of that season. Maybe he doesn't hit that ceiling and that's okay. But he's he he was never deserving of the numbers, the you know such awful numbers as he had in the beginning of this 2021 season. So it, it's it's just a a lesson in kind of like sticking with the process, understanding you know that your you, the skills that you have and and what you can do to get back to that because you just knew he's a much better player than we saw at the beginning of that season. And of course, he's got five home runs in his last seven games with the two he hit on Thursday. In his last 15 games, he's got an 883 OPS. So that's really solid. And, you know, of course, you know, he has gotten, he's continued to improve as an outfielder. He's one of the faster guys on the team. So he's an excellent base runner. And, it's just good to see those numbers coming along. And again, kind of like Nico, like we don't, you know, some of the big guys on this team are not under contract past this season. So we don't really know what this team is going to look like going forward. We do know, I mean, unless they decide to trade certain guys, Ian Happ's going to be part of that future. He's one of the young guys that's going to be a big member of this team going forward, whether they extend guys or not. Same with Nico Horner. And so Hap looking more like the version we know he should be, huge for this team because we Hap should be a, a star on this team. He should be one of the biggest contributors on this team. And over these last 15 games, certainly this last week or so where his numbers are off the charts, he's got you know almost a, a 1,500 OPS in, in his last seven games. He's got 11 hits in his last 28 at-bats, five home runs, 10 RBIs. So those are excellent numbers. And so to see him come back from that injury, look more like himself, and, you know, this was one of the things that I think I said or we said on here when he was struggling, it was the belief that he's the type of player who would rebound like this, right? He's a a, a, a very, 
you know, heady guy. He's a very smart guy, and we know he's willing to put in the work. He's made a ton of adjustments throughout his career, was sent down before one of the seasons unexpectedly, right? He puts in the work, he puts his head down, and he he makes the adjustments he has to make. And so credit to him for coming back from that injury, doing the work, and playing the best ball he has all season. I mean, he looks really great. He had a great series here against the Nationals and I and also a credit to David Ross for, you know, the way that he has brought him back, where he's placed him in the lineup and done the things to make sure that Hap has had the opportunity to get himself in the right place and and you know not necessarily thrust him back to that leadoff spot and put more of that pressure on him all around a, a very nice situation there for Ian Happ. Also want to shout out Ian Happ. We've talked about this before, but he's involved in another partnership uh, with one of the local artists in Chicago in a mental health initiative. And uh, I, we've mentioned this before. Uh, a lot of the guys do a lot of wonderful charity work, a lot of philanthropic work, and all of it's very important. Um, but the mental health stuff is is particularly important to me. And it's it's always just nice to see Ian do this work. It's it's something he's been very passionate about throughout his whole career, throughout his time in Chicago, and uh, just want to you know give him props on here for continuing to be a, a mental health advocate and someone who speaks out on the on those issues and someone who's always raising money for those issues and has made it a, a primary portion of his personal uh, social platform. So kudos to Ian Happ uh, for all of that. Now. Also want to talk about Jock Peterson, who is rocking a uh, a must a type of mustache. Uh, I'm all for facial hair, let it grow, do whatever you want. Uh, it, it's just one of those things where when you've got Andrew Chafin in the bullpen and uh, what I would call an 80 grade mustache, an elite mustache on Andrew there, Jock's is uh, putting it lightly, not quite in the same vein, but uh, he rocks it and he's he's rocking the ball uh, at the plate since he came back. I, I don't know what it is. You don't want guys to get hurt, but we've got a couple guys on this team who did get hurt uh, when they were struggling pretty mightily, and they've come back and, you know, look like they've never played better baseball in their life. So uh, I, I don't want guys to get hurt, but it is interesting to see Hap and Peterson come back from their time on the injured list and, you know, looking better than ever. So, Maybe some of the guys just need a break, you know, get to get away from it uh, a little bit. Uh, and, you know, obviously uh, they don't need to get hurt to do that. Uh, but, you know, just a couple days off and, and sort of recalibrate things. But Jock in his last 15 games, kind of like I read for Hap, a 920 OPS. Jock has 22 hits in his last 57 at bats. Uh, just this last week, he's got 11 hits in his last 28 at bats, and he's doing all of this without hitting home runs. And so you're kind of waiting for that to come because that's one of the things he's really good at. And throughout his career, even when he's struggled with strikeouts at times, and you know, not necessarily had a super high batting average, he's been a guy that, that pops him right? And we saw that in spring training. All he was doing was hitting the ball out of the ballpark. He's only got one home run this whole season. Uh, But now as we sit here, you know, his OPS is back over 700. So his numbers still aren't where you, you want them to be. His career OPS is about 100 points higher than that. But he struggled mightily at the beginning of this season. And so for him to be putting up those numbers has been huge uh, coming back off of the injured list. And again, 
it's 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 the timing of it too. You you have Marisnik going out. You had Hap missing time for a little bit. Now you've got Hayward missing time, and so for Jock to be able to kind of carry that burden a little bit in terms of some of the guys in the outfield with his play at the plate has been really, really important for this team. And just visually, right? He, he It's one of those things where I don't even think I need to read those numbers to you guys. I would be surprised if anybody just doesn't feel this visually. You're way more confident with him at the plate. He's going oppo to that left center uh, alley a ton, and it's a beautiful thing to see from a left-handed hitter like himself just ripping line drives to that left center gap. And he just looks more intimidating as, as a hitter. You feel more confident with him up there in these situations, and it's it's been a really really nice turnaround. And I'm it, it's got to feel you know obviously these guys want to succeed, but you know remember Jock on a on a one year deal proving himself came here to get that everyday playing time, get that opportunity, prove he can hit different types of pitching and things like that. And so for him to have struggled so mightily to start and now to have gotten himself going in that right direction where, you know, he's one of the hottest hitters on the team, got to feel good for him. Uh, Going two hits in each of these last two games of this series, and you have to assume that at some point the home run ball is going to start to follow suit with all of these other positive trends in his offensive numbers. And when it does, I think he's, he's poised for you know, hopefully some pretty big numbers here going forward. So all things considered on the offensive front, uh, you know, things looking pretty good. You know, this was not an explosive series for the Cubs. Uh, The Cubs scoring seven runs, six runs, three runs, and then five runs, you know, so not, uh, you know, explosive necessarily, but that's a, a solid offensive output against this Nationals team. And, you're you're starting to see uh, it, the lineup feels deeper. It it feels more diversified as we've talked about, and it's they're they're doing it with some some bruises throughout through you know throughout that lineup right and and we knew that this team wasn't necessarily super deep and that relying on the depth you know as we have maybe in past years wasn't going to be as easy but the guys have stepped up when they've really needed to right you look at guys like Matt Duffy Jake Marisnik when he was healthy and getting that playing time was killing it Jock Peterson coming back when some of these other guys have gone down and he's killing it now right you've got Rizzo and Baez, their numbers getting back, looking more normal, both of them over 800 in terms of their OPS, which again, not exactly where they want them, but everybody's kind of, you know, picking up their their portion of the deal, right? And you have someone like Nico Horner, who's still continuing to do really well with his opportunities out there. He's hitting 345. I wouldn't necessarily expect him to uh, hit that well for the entire year, but when you're able to put up even a stretch of that with the defense that he's playing, man, he is uh, looking very exciting. And I think, you know, in terms of his development and some of the concerns that people have had with him, it's tough not to be really, really excited about what we're seeing uh, from Nico Horner because, uh, like I mentioned, a few of these plays in this series, just incredible 
defense from Nico Horner, and you start to see him with a a more contact-oriented approach going the other way, scattering line drives, things like that. He, you, you, it's very easy to look at the way he's played and see like, okay, I see exactly, you know, what uh, the the big time projection here is. I see exactly what uh, everybody's kind of dreaming on here. So. All in all, uh, this was a, a pretty solid series, and you know now with Hayward out for we'll see how how long. Not sure when Mariznick is going to be back again. That that the the progress there was was pretty good in that it's uh, you know he was able to start doing some drills and things like that, and it's not something where he's you know out for a super lengthy amount of time. But you still got to be careful with those things. Not sure, so we will see when he's able to get back out there. Uh, So David Ross is still going to have to play a little bit of a kind of, you know, roster juggling uh, game, you know, changing the lineup on a daily basis. Uh, But all things considered, you've, you've got some of these guys stepping up, you've got other guys where their numbers are, are kind of starting to round into form, look a little more normal. And it's, it's uh, still, you know, quite, fun to watch a, a slightly different lineup from this group with with the introduction of some of these new guys and just a, a bit of diversification from this Cubs offense and you know over the last uh, several weeks here they they've been one of the better offensive units in the league so uh, kudos to them and you know more than anything they haven't been no hit so uh, you've got three teams that have been no hit twice and, uh, you know, a lot of those numbers are really down around baseball. So uh, kudos to the Chicago Cubs for not being one of the teams that have been no hit uh, at all, let alone multiple times, because apparently that is a thing now in 2021 Major League Baseball. So that's good. If, if, if you're not among that group, you don't want to be among that group. You don't want to get no hit at all, let alone multiple times uh, in a month and a half. So it's nice that the Cubs are not a part of that group. Uh, other than that, I, I don't know if I have anything else for you guys. It's uh, always interesting to do these podcasts alone because I'm assuming, I, I assume this is a rambling jumbled mess, but I, I do hope that in part it's a useful conversation and, and just sort of touching on some of the things that we have been discussing throughout this season and, you know, some of the things that we've been trying to keep an eye on, um, you know, as we go through the year here. So uh, I, I wanted to touch at least a little bit on kind of the extension stuff, the the, the roster stuff, the, the retool, rebuild conversation, you know, that's been out there because when the team wins three of four and you hear from the president of baseball operations uh, on the same day that, you know, he's n- not really sure what to do and there there's a lot of time left until the deadline and, you know, you kind of see where things are. If, if the team looks good and the team has younger guys that are performing, that informs what Jed's going to do. You know, I think a lot of the, the pessimism and the worry in terms of the trade deadline stems, of course, from the lack of extensions for the big three, which hopefully is something that gets rectified. I I don't know how to feel about that, guys. I really don't. Um, you know, Jed said that there's there's not necessarily active conversations at the moment, but he also pointed out that there 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 wouldn't really be. Uh, and I think what he meant by that was like everybody knows the situation. Jed, the agents, the players. If they're going to get it done, they're going to call and they're going to get it done. It's not really something that needs to be like an ongoing, everyday, you know, week by week conversation, right? Everybody kind of knows the deal. I assume they know what numbers everyone's looking for, things like that. Um, And he did say that, you know, they'll check in with those guys if 
something is going to go down before the trade deadline. Everybody's going to know where everybody stands, right? If there's an extension that is desired in either side or not, things like that, it's all going to get carried out. So I don't know how to feel about all of that. Um, but you have to figure, right? Like the Cubs have a good weekend here in St. Louis. You continue to get good performances from especially some of these younger guys who figure to be in the future plans. It's got to at least, it's got to at least give Jed something to think about, right? And I, you know, I don't know if there's a scenario where he would be a buyer at the deadline and, and would be willing to part with, certain pieces to improve the 2021 team. You know, someone like Kimbrell is, of course, going to be perhaps the most interesting person to watch just because you have a Hall of Fame closer performing at a Hall of Fame level right now, and that's a very valuable trade piece as it uh, usually works out in Major League Baseball at the trade deadline. But if the Cubs are performing well, right, like is Jed able to justify doing that and and trading away pieces from a team that is competing for a division title? Is he able to justify not doing it if he's so focused on the future? I don't know, right? And you guys know my stance on this. The Cubs should always be competing to win. That's my stance. They should extend all three of those guys. In, In my personal preference, they should extend Brizzo first, uh, that would be my priority, but I, you know, they they should be spending money extending these guys and figuring out how they're going to win the division in 2021 to win it for the second straight year and defend it for the next five years, right? But I'm just trying to be realistic. So interesting to check in on that and and just sort of see where things are in in terms of that conversation. But uh, all things considered, like. It's a solid series for the Chicago Cubs and, you know, something that we really wanted to see from this team. Some close games, um, you know, going up against a Nationals team that also, you know, coming into this series kind of found itself hovering around 500, you know, trying to get themselves going in the right direction. Emotional couple nights, especially on Monday and Tuesday, and the Cubs find a way to get Ws. They, they get big performances from some of these guys on offense, from the bullpen in particular, and it's uh, it's it's a solid, solid way to finish this homestand as you head into your first weekend against the St. Louis Cardinals, who were in first place. So um, hopefully the Cubs are able to show up in this series and have themselves a good series and, and you know, make their presence known in this division. I, I think they've been, you know, written off by so many of the projection models, and especially when the Cardinals got Arenado, you know, so much of the national conversation turned to just sort of assuming that the Cardinals were the favorite, and they were definitely going to win the division, and everybody's so focused on, are the Cubs going to do this? Are they going to do that? And here the Cubs are, right? Like, I think a lot of us predicted, they're right there. They're competitive. They're right there. They are in this division, and hopefully they can go into St. Louis here on this weekend and, and make a bit of a statement and kind of remind everybody, like, we just won this division. We are the reigning NL Central champion, Chicago Cubs. You may have forgotten about us, but we're here. Chris Bryant is still on our team, and he's the National League MVP. So, hello, we're here. Remember us, right? Uh, But here are the matchups for that series in St. Louis on Friday evening. 
This will be a 7-15 start central time. It will be Kyle Hendricks versus Carlos Martinez. Kyle Hendricks is 3-4 and four on the year with a 5.27 ERA, though he has been much better in his last few starts. Martinez is 3-4 and four with a 4.35 ERA on the season. On Saturday, this one uh, a little earlier, a 6.15 p.m. Central Time start. Adbert Alzali, 2-3 with a 4.62 ERA against Miles Mikolas, who has not pitched on the season, so he is making his debut here for the Cardinals in 2021. Again, that one an hour earlier on Saturday, and then on Sunday, unfortunately, Sunday night baseball, so remember to mute uh, the ESPN broadcast, pull up Pat and Ron, listen to your favorite music or something, but don't subject yourself to the national narratives, right? They're bad. They're very bad. Um, that one at seven minutes earlier, so 6.08 Central Time uh, on Sunday evening. That is going to be Zach Davies, 2-2 two and two, with a 5.58 ERA against Adam Wainwright, 2-4, and 4.63 ERA. So just to uh, reiterate that because it's, a, you know, it's just so you guys uh, keep this in mind, 7.15 Central Time on Friday night, and then an hour earlier-ish on Saturday and Sunday, 6.15 and 6.08 Central Time. So that is the setup for the weekend. Things you're looking for, obviously, Kyle Hendricks to continue uh, looking like himself, giving those dominant performances. We've certainly seen him deliver some excellent games against the St. Louis Cardinals in his career. So looking for that, Zach Davies, uh, looking for him to just sort of continue looking more like the player that you thought you were getting in that U Darvish trade, uh, and then, you know, kind of more like that guy we saw so many times uh, give the Cubs trouble as a Milwaukee Brewer, continue giving those solid starts head into quality start territory, give the team a chance to win there. And then, you know, it's it's sort of the same thing we're always looking for with Albert Alzali, which is just continuing to make that progress in his career. Um, you know, he's uh, struggled a little bit with the home run ball, length, things like that. Of course, um, you know, David Ross trusting him to go through that lineup two, three times, uh, you know, four times if it, if it gets to that. Um you know, those are the things you're looking for with him. He, he's he been good. Uh, you know, his expected FIP, fielding independent pitching numbers, a little better than his actual results. So, uh, you know, one of those things where perhaps his, his overall ERA and things like that could be a little better. Um, so just looking for him to continue making that progress in his career, continuing to have patience with him, right? And, and, and not, you know, um, getting too greedy and and, uh, impatient with wanting him to look like the star that hopefully he's developing into. He'll he'll get there uh, at his pace, and, and we're along for the ride. So that that's really what I have for you. As always, very appreciative, um, you know, when it's just me or just Brendan. Um, as, as we always say, you know, before we start the regular season, we are committed to not missing an episode. Um, so when one of us is sick or, you know, has work or something with uh, the family, things like that, uh, one of us will do it. Somebody will do it. We're always here. Um, but Obviously, I know uh, the format is two of us, and you know I think uh, in general a lot of you guys tune in for the two of us and the show that we cultivate and and, and put together. Uh, not necessarily just to listen to one of us rambling, though. Honestly, guys, if it's you have to pick one, it's got to be me, right? 
Like, the hour we just spent together has to be more interesting than Brendan reading off spin rate numbers and horizontal release point data, right? Is that just me? I don't know. I love Brendan, but, you know, come on. If you have to pick an hour to spend with one of us, I think you gotta pick me, right? Sorry to you, Brendan, the the Brendan fan club, but I think it's gotta be me. Anyway, Jokes aside, I, I, I do appreciate, you know, you guys bearing with us. This is pretty rare. It probably only happens a couple times per season, but it, it's not ideal. But appreciate you guys bearing with us, um, you know, and, and listening to me ramble without having Brendan to kind of keep me in check and uh, offer, you know, more of the insight that I think he provides um, on a deeper level. I joke about the spin rate and, the you know, the release point stuff, but it's, it's very informative, and I think um, it's uh, good to have that balance between the two of us. So appreciate you guys sticking with me here tonight. Um, It's always good to talk to you and always good to talk to you when the Cubs have won three out of four to finish up a homestand. So let's go beat the Cardinals. Um, F the Cardinals, as always. That is uh, certainly a motto of this podcast and should be a motto in your home uh, forever. It's always true. And uh, let's try to get ourselves closer to first place here in this weekend. Great week for the Cubs to start here against the Nationals. Let's keep things rolling here in St. Louis. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in to the Cubs-related podcast. Brendan and I will be back with you on Sunday evening after the Cubs and Cardinals finish up their first series of the year. So thank you for listening, and as always, go Cubs. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G, because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.